Thank you for the welcome, Gareth. Thank you for having me this morning um, up here to, to preach. Um, I, I'm quite sure most of you are more diligent than I am and have been following throughout the summer, whether you've been in other places or have been locally, um, you've kept up with a series in Jeremiah. And so this morning we land in Jeremiah chapter 29. Um, and I'm going to read some verses from Jeremiah 29, 1 to 14. Um, we're going to focus mainly on verses 11 to 14, sort of at the end of this passage. But it would be brilliant if you could grab a Bible. I know the words probably do come up on the screen, but, but afterwards, whenever we start to look at this, it'd be great if you have those in front of you um, just to follow along with. I'm going to flick around a little bit as well. Um, and we've been working our way through Jeremiah um, before the summer and into the summer. And last week, um, Gareth was in Daniel, but it was into Jeremiah, and it was tying those together, and he crept somewhat into the, the passage that we're in today, but it's okay, because the bit that he talked about, I've let him, he's covered that, so we're, we're kind of tying that into to what comes next. Um, but let's read Jeremiah 29, verses 1 uh, through to 14 to begin with. This is God's Word. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the craftsmen had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And it said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you, and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, 
and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. We thank God for his word. I want to start this morning by saying thank you very publicly to Gareth for asking me to preach today on one of the most well-known, often quoted, most misunderstood, and taken out of context promises in the entire Bible. Either he has hugely over-anticipated my gifting, or he has a cheeky sense of humor, or he genuinely trusts God to speak despite the human-sized jar of clay standing before you right now. I would say it's probably a combination of all three. But let me just read three of those verses again. 29 verses 11 to 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all my heart. These words, and actually often just verse 11, are in picture frames, on fridge magnets, falling out of Bibles on bookmarks, maybe even on hard-boiled sweets in some countries. And yet I'd be prepared to suggest that often people don't know when God said this, who he was speaking to, or what it meant at that time. And if we don't know what it meant when God said these words, then we can so easily make them mean things today that God never intended for them to mean. When suddenly suffering comes and you wonder, I thought God's plans for me were good. Or in the middle of difficulty, somebody will quote this verse and say, I have faith that my suffering is about to end because God has promised it. Is that what this passage means? In the Old Testament, as a result of God's people messing up pretty much everything, they're split into two kingdoms. In the north, we've got Israel, and in the south, we've got Judah. And both kingdoms are sinking deeper and deeper into idolatry and immorality. And God has sent prophets to both nations saying, God's judgment is coming. Turn back to him. But just like my kids when I tell them to switch off the lights or shut the doors or put the bikes back in the garage, they just don't listen. So what happens? Exile, punishment. The northern kingdom is destroyed and God's people are taken off to Assyria. Jeremiah, who is in the southern kingdom of Judah, for 40 years declares God's words of warnings to his people saying, the same thing that happened to Israel is going to happen to you. The Babylonians are coming. And they did come 
in 587 BC, and God's people are scattered in Babylon, experiencing all kinds of suffering and trouble and difficulty, taken from a home by a foreign government into a foreign country, having nothing and knowing no one. And as we pick up the story, there are false prophets. There are deceivers, false teachers, trying to comfort God's people, saying, don't worry. Don't worry. This suffering is not going to last long. Babylon will soon fall. Don't worry. God is going to bring us right back home. Gareth laid out really helpfully much of the background to this last week, but Jeremiah writes a letter. And through its words, God says a few things. In verses 8 to 9, he says, don't believe those prophets. Just before that, in verses 4 to 7, God said, get comfortable because you're going to be here for a while, which can't have been the most encouraging or the best news. And in fact, in verse 10, God spells out just how long when he says, 70 years from now, I will bring you back home. Most of them would be dead by then. What thoughts and emotions go through your mind and your heart when you hear that your suffering is going to last for the rest of your life? So is Jeremiah 29 verses 11 to 13 good news or not? Should we have these words plastered on our walls and framed on our desks and adorning our mantelpieces? Well, absolutely, we should. But let me show you why. As we find here three promises from God to his people then. First, God says, I will bring you through your suffering. God's people are captive in Babylon, and God has said, I am going to bring you through it. It's in verse 14. God says, I will be found by you and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God absolutely isn't saying, you've messed up, you're gone, and now it's in your hands. I hope you make it out. No, he says, you're still in my hands. And I am going to bring you out. I will take responsibility for this. I will bring you through your suffering. And then God says, secondly, I will hear your prayers to me. This is verse 12. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. This verse is absolutely stunning. When we put it into the context and we read it in the context of the whole of Jeremiah, remember what's happening? Again and again, over and over, Jeremiah talks about how God's people have turned their back on him, how they have completely forgotten about God. And in the midst of that, God still says to his people, I have not forgotten about you. 
I love you, and my plans for you involve relationship with you. This is an incredible thing for the holy God of the universe to say to sinners who deserve his anger, I will hear your prayers to me. I will bring you through your suffering. I will hear your prayers to me. And then God says, I will reward your pursuit of me. 29 verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That verse in particular takes me right back to Jeremiah chapter 9. Just listen, you don't need to to turn there. Jeremiah 29, verses 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Translation, it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. The only thing that matters right now as we sit here this morning and forever, the only thing that matters is if you know God. And I make absolutely no apology for asking you right now. Do you understand and know, like personally know God? This is the one thing that matters most in your life. God tells his people in Jeremiah 29, 13, that this can be a reality for them. That they can know God. That they can find God. God. My boys are collecting the uh, Panini football cards again. And whenever they get some money, whether the grandparents give them some, because they rarely get any from me, but whenever they get some money and they go and grab a few packs, all they are hoping for, as they rip open that small packet, there's six cards in there, all they are hoping for, as they rip that paper up and throw it on the floor, is the golden baller. Because that's the treasure. That's the only thing that matters. That's what they're looking for above anything else. And the language here is like discovering the most valuable treasure in the entire world, God himself. God tells his people through Jeremiah, I will reward your pursuit of me. I will bring you through your suffering. I will hear your prayers to me. And I will reward your pursuit of me. 
But now the big old question comes. So what, Grim? Now that we understand what God was saying to his people then, so what? What is God saying to us now, today, as we sit here? Are there any implications for us as followers of Jesus today that flow from Jeremiah chapter 29? Well, yes, there are. Here's one. In the middle of suffering, we can know God has good plans for us. In circumstances where we wonder where God is or what he's doing, God says, I have good plans for you, plans for your prosperity or plans for your welfare, as other translations go with. And actually, originally, the Hebrew word is shalom, which has the sense of all-encompassing peace and sees God saying, in the middle of your turmoil, in the middle of your difficulty and your struggle and your suffering, I have plans for your peace. In the middle of your heartache and your pain, Know that I am plotting for your good. And just like that, we've hit the nerve. Because this is where everything can go horribly wrong. The key for us here is the same that was the key for God's people back in Jeremiah's day. Did you pick up what he said? Don't believe in false hope. Don't believe people who tell you that God will keep you from all suffering or that God will bring you out of suffering really quickly. That is false hope. It was prevalent in Jeremiah's day and it is popular today. In the mouths of prophets then and in the mouths of some preachers today, Across the world, some of the largest, fastest growing churches today are built on this kind of false hope. One of them that attracts tens of thousands of people says explicitly that it is God's will for every believer to become whole, healthy, and successful in every area of life. They claim that on the cross, Jesus bought not just spiritual provision, but physical provision and financial provision too. Many supposedly Christian churches and movements and supposedly Christian books are built on this teaching that says God wills for you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous in this world. God wills to keep you from all suffering if only you will trust in him, if only you will have faith in him, and if by chance you find yourself in suffering, maybe even because of a lack of faith, if you will only return to God in faith, your suffering will end in a short time. Believe this, claim this, trust that prosperity is coming, tell yourself this, the power of positive thinking even, have faith. Jeremiah 29, 11, 
God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. God wills to prosper you financially, right? Physically, otherwise, if you're suffering right now, you need to believe that prosperity is coming soon because that's what Jeremiah 29, 11 teaches, isn't it? No. In reality, Jeremiah 29, 11 teaches the exact opposite. God's people were in exile according to God's will and according to God's word, and their suffering in exile was not coming to an end anytime soon. Now, you might think, I like the other message better, which is exactly what the people in Jeremiah's day were thinking. It's why they were believing the false prophets. If you have time this afternoon, read Jeremiah 28. It's all about Hananiah, who just spells out lies claiming to be a prophet from God, telling God's people that they will be home soon. It's lies. The context of Jeremiah 29 makes clear that suffering is a reality for God's people in this fallen world. And God's people will not escape it. But God says to his people in the middle of suffering, I promise to enable you to endure it. And God does not promise in his word that suffering will end in a short time. That is a false hope, and it has led all kinds of people astray, saying, if you just believe, have faith, you will be healed soon. If you just have faith, believe, you will have financial health soon. If you just believe, your marriage will be reconciled soon. Name it, claim it, believe it, receive it. And then when it doesn't happen, when the healing doesn't come, when the finances aren't there, when the divorce becomes final, people are left wondering, did I not have enough faith? Or worse, is God actually there? Or if he is there, can he actually be trusted? When God never promised in his word that your suffering would end in a short time. You might ask, well, did God promise anything along these lines? And the answer, though not as popular, is clear here in Jeremiah 29. True hope. God promises your suffering will end in the long term. Exile will not be the end for you, God tells his people. Your suffering will not have the last word. I have good plans for you, God says, and my good plan is guaranteed to prevail in the end. Do you realize what this means? What it meant for God's people in Jeremiah 29 and what it means for us as God's people today? God's plan calls for patient trust. 70 years is a long time to wait. Most of us would want our problems sorted out by the end of the week, not the end of the century, which is why these false prophets were so appealing then, and it's why prosperity teaching is so popular today. But it's not true. It's a lie. What's true is that God is calling his people through his word to patient trust. Is it possible that suffering could end soon? in this or that situation, and healing and reconciliation and restoration or whatever might happen, is it possible? Absolutely. By the grace and the power of God, it is possible, and we can and we should pray for that. 
But is it guaranteed? Absolutely it is not. You can't bank your life on that. God hasn't said that, no matter how good it sounds. And I'm not going to say it, and although I would never try to put words in anyone's mouth, I'm willing to bet everything I have that our ministers here wouldn't say it either. What God says is that when suffering comes, sometimes suffering stays for a while. But it will one day end. And God promises to get you there. When the next doctor's appointment doesn't go well, when the next, or when the painful relationship isn't getting any easier, and when the grief over the loss isn't going away, God says, you're not on your own in this. You're in my hands, and I take responsibility for bringing you through this with all the grace, all the strength, all the wisdom, all the help that you need. In the middle of suffering, we can know God has good plans for us. But also in the middle of suffering, we can know God hears all our cries. If this was true for the people in Jeremiah 29, it's all the more true for us today. If you can, jump ahead with me just two, verses, or two chapters into Jeremiah chapter 31, and I'm going to read verses 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God was saying to them that a new way to have a relationship with him was coming. A way for all people to know him directly through a sacrifice once and for all, for all their sins. This is the promise of Jesus coming to open up access to God for everyone who would trust him with their lives. This is the promise we see fulfilled as Jesus dies on the cross for our sin. This is the promise that is available for you today if you don't yet know God. And this is the promise that if we have submitted our lives to Christ, says that even in the midst of suffering, we have direct access to the God of the universe. And he is drawing us closer and closer to himself. And this means as we finish, in the middle of suffering, we can know joy. 
I want to tie this all together in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If we are in Christ, it is possible, genuinely possible, to rejoice in the middle of suffering. Why? Because we know exactly what Jeremiah 29 is saying, that God has good plans for us. Even in suffering, plans for endurance, plans for character, plans for hope, And our hope is in God's love for us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to invite the band to come back onto the stage as we draw this to a close. Our joy, our hope, our prosperity is not found in our ever-changing circumstances. God has not called us to live that way. Our joy is not found in our ever-changing circumstances. Our joy is found in God's never-changing promises. And for all who cling to Jesus, these promises are yours. In Jesus, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that even in the middle of suffering, God has plans for you. In Jesus, you can know that even in the middle of suffering, you have access to God, all of his wisdom, all of his strength, all of his grace, his love, his everything is at your disposal. In Jesus, you can know that even in the middle of suffering, you have surprising joy because your joy supersedes the ever-changing circumstances of this world. Your joy is grounded in the never-changing promises of God. Let's pray together. It may be that this morning you're here and you are experiencing difficulty. Could be any manner of difficulty. And if that is something that you are feeling in a very real sense, I invite you to just open a hand to God. Father, we lift to you now anyone here 
or watching this morning who is walking through difficulty at the moment. I pray that they would feel your presence with them right now. I pray that they would know they are in your hands. God, all of our trust is in you. We pray for your strength in their weakness. We pray for your peace in the middle of turmoil. We pray for your joy in the middle of suffering. We pray that you would produce endurance and character and hope through this. We pray for your comfort. We pray for your wisdom. We pray for your direction. We pray for your enabling that you would bring them through no matter whether this lasts for another day or for the rest of their lives. Jesus, we bow before you. We give you glory for you have conquered sin and defeated suffering. You have defeated death itself. We praise you. We long for that day when we will see your face and you will wipe every tear from our eyes. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen.